Good morning. If you would, go ahead and get a Bible. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. And we'll get started in that place in just a minute. Colossians chapter 3. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. If you didn't realize it was Mother's Day, I'm sorry, but I needed to say that, and now you need to go um, make that right with your mom. Uh, but it's good to see everyone. I appreciate so much. I always, always want to say that because, and I always uh, think about this on Mother's Day, how much God uses mothers to bless and help their families and to do His work and uh, to especially uh, create an environment in which the gospel can thrive and people can become better people as we grow up. All of us are thankful for that influence, and uh, this is a good day to remember that and to honor that. Uh, so happy Mother's Day to our mothers. For what we're doing in this period, uh, it is Q&A morning, and so I want to remind you of what we do. This is the second Sunday morning in the month, and we try to do it on a pretty regular schedule, although sometimes I mess that up. But um, we try to have this time where we answer questions. I answer questions that you've previously submitted to me uh, and have some time where I can plan for what I'm going to say and answer to that and then present that at this time. So it's not a uh, back and forth, uh, but it's instead something that's already been submitted. So if you do have a question, uh, please submit it to me, write it down or email me. Find, make sure that it's written down in some form or else I'll forget it if we just talk about it. But I am always in the market for more questions. So if you have more or even if something I say this morning raises questions for you, which let's be frank, it might, uh, then uh, feel free to give those to me. All right, so the question this morning, we're only going to be able to do one question this morning, uh, but it is a challenging one, is uh, what is our responsibility towards someone in an abusive relationship or marriage? So this is an extremely controversial hot-button topic. Uh, in fact, uh, just last year, uh, there's a man named Paige Patterson who was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he was ousted as president uh, because, in part, of some remarks he made in counseling a couple in an abusive marriage. Physical abuse was involved. So uh, there's the story told, this is what was reported at the time last year, that uh, Patterson was approached by a woman who was, had been physically abused by her husband, and he told her, his counsel was, you just need to pray. And so when she came back to him, she had two black eyes, and she said to him, I hope you're happy. And he said, well, actually, I am happy because your, your husband came to church for the first time. And so as that was reported, you can imagine uh, the, the uproar that would cause, especially the idea of him saying he was happy uh, because of that situation. But that counsel to say, in that moment, what should you do when you are an abused wife? Uh, that counsel was a significant part of why he is no longer the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, Southern Baptist Conventions, all of that's another topic. We could talk about it another time. But I say that to say this is a controversial thing in our time, and I think perhaps it always has been. So not only is it controversial in terms of our broader society, it's controversial among brethren. Uh, about what advice we should give or what our role should be as individuals or as a congregation uh, towards someone who's in a situation like this. And so I'm going to do my best to tread delicately, but I also feel like I have to answer the question. So I'm going to do the best I can with that. But I just want you to know I'm aware of that, and I want you to be aware of 
uh, how explosive this topic can be. Uh, now, the idea of abusive can have a lot of definitions and a really broad range of meaning in our time. In fact, in our time, it can mean anything from somebody saying something harsh all the way up to physical violence. So when I am using the term in this lesson, I am talking about physical abuse, all right? Someone being injured by someone else, someone laying hands on their mate. Uh, this question also has uh, an abusive relationship or marriage. And uh, that, that distinction is important to me uh, because I do believe there's a difference in our responsibility towards someone who is just in a dating relationship uh, because, frankly, I'll just say it this way, if somebody's in a dating relationship where the person is abusive, I'm going to encourage them with all I have to get out of that dating relationship immediately. Uh, that, that, to me, is a no-brainer. Uh, the, the reason marriage is different is because of what the Bible teaches about marriage. And so that... So when, when we talk about this this morning, I, I'm not really talking about somebody in a, in a dating relationship. I'm talking about someone in a marriage. And so abusive this morning is going to be physical abuse, and marriage this morning is going to be the, the focus of that. So uh, beyond that, I know we're still in the preliminary stage in the question here, but there's a lot of setting the stage. Uh, beyond that, the topic is complicated because victims of domestic violence have a certain kind of behavior. Uh, many victims of domestic violence are hesitant to speak out about what's going on in the home. They're hesitant to seek any kind of relief or distance from their mate. And there are a lot of reasons. Part of that may come from the fact that sometimes they feel like the Bible, want, the Bible teaches them they have to be there. Uh, sometimes they blame themselves for the abuse they receive. This is kind of my fault. Sometimes they assume it will get better. That was just that one time. He's really a good person. This won't happen again. Uh, sometimes they're afraid of retaliation. If I say something to somebody, it's going to make him mad, and we're going to go into the whole cycle again. Sometimes they feel like they love the person so much that this would hurt the relationship, and they just don't want to do that to them. And you can hear in that a lot of strains of things that we might think were we in that situation. So it seems to me that if we know that physical abuse is going on in a marriage, that's a big deal because it means all of those hurdles I just mentioned have been overcome and someone has shared that this is going on. So because of that, we need to know that that puts some responsibility on us as people someone in that relationship has come to. So abusive marriages are a very serious problem. They're a serious problem in the United States. I was amazed at this. Uh, one in four women in the United States has suffered severe violence from an intimate partner. Now, what that means is uh, severe violence is defined as things like beating, burning, or strangling. One in four. You can do the math about how many people are in this room right now. And to me, that is, that is a frightening statistic because it says that this is a widespread problem in our culture, and usually problems that are widespread in our culture tend to be, hopefully to a lesser degree, but still widespread among brethren. 72% of all murder-suicides involve an intimate partner, and when that happens, 94% of the victims of the murder are female. I don't think that we can just turn a blind eye to things like that and say, well, that's not a big deal. That doesn't happen to us. 
as if these things are only problems for people outside the church. I think what we have to say is this is a reality of the world that we live in, and it's going to be part of how we serve Jesus, how we interact when situations like this come up. Now, as Christians, we need to acknowledge that we struggle with the same things that the world does. We get frustrated in our marriages. We have trouble controlling our anger. And we need to say that perhaps these kinds of situations could be, and usually, I think we could say, have been problems in Christian marriages as well as non-Christian. So what's going on with the question? The question describes a tension. What's our responsibility? Because the tension in this issue is on the one hand, you have God's command that marriage be for life. And on the other hand, you have our concern for the physical and emotional well-being of both parties in a marriage. So the Bible says a lot about marriage, but when the Bible talks about marriage, it talks about them in those lifelong terms. This is Jesus, Matthew 19, 6. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay, God joins two people together. Man shouldn't separate them. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 7.39, these are Paul's words. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. So the Bible teaches that marriage is for life. I think we all would affirm that. We know that's an important principle biblically. The only exception that the New Testament gives for these rules is sexual immorality. You can see that in Matthew 19.9. You can see that in Matthew 5.32. So it's natural when we're talking about, and and we are a group that does our best to say, let's focus on the Bible. Teach what the Bible teaches. Well, the Bible teaches that marriage is for life, and the Bible doesn't say anything. The New Testament does not describe at all the relationships that we've described about abusive marriages. So if we're saying what the Bible says and not saying what the Bible doesn't say, then we're going to talk about marriage being for life, and we're not going to talk about domestic violence. So you see the issue. The the problem is, when you focus on the marriage part, then you neglect the part that we might call, oh, the, the law of love, the idea of loving our neighbor as ourselves, the idea that if we knew of somebody in this situation, I don't think we would say, wait a minute, what does the Bible say I should do when a husband is beating up his wife. I don't think we would think, well, I wonder if there's a passage that I need to follow about that. We would naturally, instinctually say, if I care anything about this person, maybe if I don't know them at all, I'm going to do my best to get them out of that situation and save them. I want to help. So you can see the tension that happens there. Uh, It's a tension between God's law about marriage and the expectation God has that we love each other and that we try to help each other if we have the opportunity. And those things can seem to be at odds uh, in a marriage like this. Should we work to save the marriage and continue the abuse, or should we say end the marriage and ignore what God says about the permanence of marriage? Which of those do we, do we go with? So, what's our responsibility? I want to I try to be practical here and give you, uh, we're going to do five things here, that I think would be a helpful response and what I believe are our responsibilities as a church and as, as fellow Christians towards somebody in this situation. First is this, we need to strongly oppose domestic abuse. Now, Christians have historically done a poor job about this. I want you to read with me Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18. Colossians 3, 18, Wives, submit to your husbands 
as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Your version may say where mine says do not be harsh, something like do not be bitter. One scholar says it means don't become angry or incensed against your wives. He also, if you notice in verse 21 there, in verse 21 he says, fathers, do not provoke your children. In Ephesians it says to provoke your children to wrath. Okay, the idea there seems to be that Christian fathers need to be in control of themselves. Christian families are led by men who have disciplined themselves, and they are not going to lash out against their wives and against their children. They don't let anger boil over and hurt their families, whether that's a physical hurt or in some other way. And we need to be teaching that, and we need to be practicing that. And Christian men, we need to be working on that. That needs to be a part of the spectrum of things that we grow in as disciples of Jesus. We cannot just say, oh, look at verse 18. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Submit, 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 and ignore the idea that we have to not be harsh and not provoke. Both of those come from God. And one of those is the responsibility of Christian men. And we need to say that, and we need to say it emphatically and loudly, that this is not right. To treat people this way is condemned by God. Turn with me over to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. First Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So Peter says, live with your wives in an understanding way. He says, show her honor. Honor her as the weaker vessel. Now, I think that the, the phrase, as the weaker vessel, showing honor as the weaker vessel, is not a literal description, show her honor because she's weak. It is instead, this is the kind of honor you show, as you would show honor to something that's delicate. But I think we also need to be honest in looking at this passage through the lens of what we're talking about. Most men are bigger and stronger than most women. And most men would have the ability to force most women to do what they wanted, would be able to force them into situations whether they like it or not. They could treat them harshly if they wanted. This is a passage that says that's not the way Christian men act. It's not because they can't. It's because they shouldn't and they won't. It's not because they're physically prevented. It's because they're spiritually prevented from that type of behavior. So this passage teaches us to respect each other, to treat each other gently, and to never use a physical advantage as a pretext for harm. That is not why God made men and women different. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, 
Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Both of those patterned after Jesus and his people. Now, I think you know, we're, we're probably familiar with these passages. For a long time, these passages have been hammered so that we can say, wives submit to husbands, wives submit to husbands. That's true. But have you noticed, I mean, if you look just at the, the sheer number of words, from verse 25 all the way down to verse 30 are a description of what the husband's role is toward his wife. It is sacrificial love, self-giving love to present her holy and without blemish, putting her first. So, what I'm saying is that the historical emphasis on wife's submission to the neglect of the husband's role has harmed the way Christians act and the way Christian homes interact. It's time for us to say, we're not going to settle for less than the biblical ideal about the way husbands are going to treat their wives. It's not going to be accepted that we won't countenance it as a church. If I hear about it in your life, I'm not going to be okay with you. We're going to have a problem. So we can begin here by saying that physical abuse is completely unacceptable, soundly condemn it, say that we won't tolerate it, it won't be a part of the culture of this church, we're not going to have it. If you are suffering abuse, you need to know that your brothers and sisters feel this way and that we are a place you can come for understanding and for help because we're not going to justify that behavior. And we want people to know that we're not going to justify that behavior. It is not acceptable because it's not biblical. But if you are an abuser, we love you too. And we want to try to help you, but that behavior will not be tolerated. If you're willing to change and to work on that part of your life, we will do that just like any other struggle that you and I have. We will work with you, but this will not be accepted as an ongoing way of life. All right, so that's the first thing we can do, and I think that will set the tone for what follows. Uh, the second thing is that we can help with physical safety first. Uh, we need to be well aware of how serious domestic violence situations are. What we can do is help get somebody physically safe first. Usually what happens in domestic violence situations is that there is an explosion because of a certain situation or a certain discussion, and we can help get someone out of that situation in the moment until that anger cools off. Find safety for them, and if there are children involved, the children too so that we can make sure that the situation is not going to become another one of those statistics that we just talked about. So uh, I, I view this sort of like um, uh, when uh, the, the word is triage. When you, you go into the ER, there is usually an immediate need that you have that sent you to the ER, and then there are also some long-term problems that you might work on. So if you go into the ER, the doctor is not going to say, all right, you probably need to lose some weight. If you're in the ER, the doctor is going to say, all right, let's stop the bleeding. Okay, let's, let's get you where you're breathing again. Whatever it is, let's deal with the immediate problem. And then later on, when things have calmed down and you're stable, then we deal with the long-term problems. And I see this the same way. If there's an immediate problem where there's violence going on right now, we get you out of that situation, and then we begin to work when things cool down on what's going on in the marriage. So uh, look with me in 1 Corinthians 7 for a moment. 1 Corinthians 7. 
the, the principle I'm working off of here is that there is a difference between a temporary separation or getting somebody out of the house because we're worried about their safety and uh, the, the biblical concept of divorce. There's a difference between separation and divorce. In other words, 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 10 1 Corinthians 7.10 says, To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. All right, so in my version, I'm reading from the ESV, in verse 10 it says the word should not separate from her husband. Some versions say depart from her husband. But I want you to know that this is a very specific idea. This is not the idea that we can never physically separate. Like if we're not in the same proximity all the time, that somehow we're not married anymore. This is something that is about a deliberate attempt to leave and, and end the relationship. You know that because in verse 11, he describes that as if she does, she should remain unmarried. So this kind of departure, when you have this kind of departure, you're no longer married. It's a departure with an intent to stay gone, with an intent to end the marriage. So it's not as if, you know, Sarah says, I'm going to the store, and I say, oh, no, we're divorced, okay? That's not the way divorce works, okay? There's a difference between a separation and a divorce. And, and I think you can see that in verse 5 as well, 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 5, where he talks about, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, I understand that that's not talking about the situation we're describing uh, I understand that this is talking about sort of a mutual agreement. We're going we're to abstain from sexual relations so that we can fast and pray. I understand that. But I am saying when we talk about getting somebody out of the house, it's not verse 10 and 11. I would think that it's more like we're having a separation like verse 5. So my point here is that we can help a victim of physical abuse by showing them their options that they have places to stay and people who can help, that there are legal remedies. I think it's important to remind everyone that domestic violence is a crime, and it can be punishable. And if a mate decides that they want to press charges against their mate, I'm not sure I can stand in their way and say that's not right. But that's, that is an option in this situation, especially as you begin to think about next steps. We need to show people that they have more options than just pray about it and stay where you are. I don't think that's uh, the only thing that can happen here. Now, particularly, I want to say this, and I want to be careful about how I say this, but I am personally extremely hesitant to urge someone to return to an abusive home without some indication or reason to believe that something's going to change, without some reason for optimism. So this is a situation where we say, Physical safety is the priority for now. Now, in addition to that, as we work with that, we need to show compassion. I don't think I put this verse on the board, so everybody hang on. Let me do a quick check. I did. All right. Okay. Colossians 3.12. Uh, put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness. These are the things that should characterize us. These are things that can show up and be very beneficial in this situation, that we need to show care for a person who is in the position of victim in this situation. It seems to me that this is a time where we might be tempted 
to second guess someone in this situation. We might begin to ask questions like, why did you marry him? I don't know what you see in him. Why would you want to go back to him? Has he always been this way? How did you not notice the signs? He'll probably never change. Those are the kinds of statements that instead of being supportive to that person are just going to hurt them more. Those are not compassionate. We're not thinking about how they're feeling and how we can help. Instead, we're thinking about ourselves and what we think about the situation. It seems to me that this also may be a time where we don't listen as carefully as we ought to because the victim is going to be extremely upset. And, and I know this from having lived through a divorce with my parents and dealing with people who go through divorces. When people are upset, they're also torn and they don't know what to do, and they don't know how they feel. So sometimes they're going to be angry, but then they still love the person. And so if you jump on their anger and you say, you know what, you're right, he is a terrible person. Well, then they say, wait a minute, that's my husband. I love him. It seems to me it may be better to listen than to talk at times like these. It may be better to just be there for them. But I do believe this is a vital thing we do as brothers and sisters in Christ, that in moments like these, we show them that we care about them. Now, we can talk about some of those other things, but it seems to me this is also a time where we're tempted to talk about, all right, here's what you can't do and shouldn't do, instead of just being there for someone and listening to help them through their pain. Fourth thing, uh, work with both parties if possible. There will be a time when the momentary trouble dies down, when we get out of the ER, and now the question is, what are we doing with this marriage? How do we help going forward? And it seems to me that we don't just need to work with the victim, we need to work with the abuser. If we believe that Jesus can change people's lives, and we believe that anyone can be saved if they come to the Lord, then this is a place where we live up to that belief. This is a time, this is a situation where we need to try to work with a person to help them become the man or woman God calls them to be. Now, our world has very little interest in people who commit abuse. They are written off, they are discarded, they are worthless. But that's not the way Jesus teaches us to view each other, is it? He instead teaches us to view each other as people who all have flaws and make mistakes, and especially if we're willing to own and move on from those mistakes, to be supported and encouraged in those efforts. So specifically, what I'm talking about is most abuse situations are about anger and how we control our anger or fail to control our anger. And the truth is, our spouses can make us remarkably angry, probably angrier than any other person, and we have to learn how to live with them without lashing out in whatever form that might take. But we can work on that. In fact, I suspect every husband in this room has had to work on that. And that hopefully we've grown some from where we used to be. Now, it may be that we need to get counselors involved as we try to work through those problems, people who have training in helping people piece their marriages back together. It may be that brethren or elders need to be involved people who can see the spiritual needs of both parties and try to work on that. 
But the fundamental problem I have with most approaches to abuse situations today is that there is very little effort to work together to save the marriage. And I don't know that we can countenance that as Christians. We can help there. We can say, this can work. Let's work with him. Let's work with her. Let's work with them together. Let's help piece this back together. And I believe that that's something that is our responsibility as brothers and sisters. So we try to help them move forward. Now, there is also this, uh, just like with any marriage trouble situation, we have to be careful not to take sides. Now, I don't mean when I say take sides that it's okay for somebody to abuse and, and it might be the woman's fault that she got abused or something. I don't mean that. I mean there has to be fairness and it's very easy to line up on one team against the other in situations like these. And I would encourage us to say, we're going to work with both parties to try to mend the relationship together. And here is the final thing I would say. Uh, we're trying to preserve a safe marriage. That's the goal. The goal is to save the marriage, to save the home, but to save it safe so that everybody in the home feels safe. And there might be more that's required as they go on that journey. There might be more brothers and sisters that need to be involved. It will require patience. It will be a long-term issue. This is not the triage issue. This is the long-term. I'm talking years and years and years. But I believe that we can do both, that we can uphold the biblical priority of preserving a marriage and also uphold the biblical priority of loving someone and helping them have a situation where they're safe in their marriage. I believe we can do both, but it's going to take work and it's going to take patience. So let me say a couple of things and then we'll be done with this question. I am not presuming to judge people in this, these situations because I think we need to acknowledge this is not what God intended marriage to be. These situations are unspeakably hurtful, but I will say that one of the greatest gifts God has given for people in failing or struggling marriages is a group of people who will love them and support them. That's us. That's our responsibility as brothers and sisters. Can I say something to young people? Young people, there are no guarantees of a happily ever after after you get married. It's not automatic. It's not automatic when you marry a Christian. It's not automatic when you don't. But I want to warn you that if you see in the person you're dating this kind of anger, this kind of uh, lack of discipline, don't ignore that, because I want you to know where that can lead, where it regularly leads, and run like the wind. That's just Jacob's advice there, if you can get away from that person. Now, I'm not saying when I say that, that married people who are married to an abuser should have known better or something like that. I don't believe that. I'm saying we need to think carefully about where certain behaviors lead and we need to do what we can to protect ourselves. So I hope that answers that question. Uh, if you have more questions from that, I understand. Uh, and uh, just write them down, and we'll talk about them later. Thanks so much for your attention. We'll be dismissed for our classes.